listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and today's podcast is going to be a deal analysis for a duplex <clears throat> in Cap Hill uh, that is being used as a house act. So I've got Scott Kimball in the studio today, who is aged on there. Scott, how are you? Good, Chris. How you doing? Glad to have you. You're doing great, man. <laughs> yeah. We actually are very fortunate to actually have our client and now the owner and house hacker at this place facility. How are mm-hmm. you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. And this is actually your second time on the podcast. So for our listeners following all the house hacking podcasts, he was on, I think it was uh, the fourth house hacking mastermind. The third. I was think? it a third? I think okay. so. I'm not, either three or four, and it came out sometime before this episode, but we'll, we'll link yeah. to it in the show notes. Um, all right. So let's start with uh, you, so because you moved here to Denver uh, earlier this year. And you moved from Seattle, and I know you were transitioning for, you know, quality of life, job, real estate investing. Just kind of fill us into your situation and, and what brought you to Denver, and you also kind of explored real estate investing in Seattle as well. Yeah, so I've lived in Seattle since 2016, and um, I moved there for work from Canada where I grew up. And um, for the past couple of years or so, I've been re- getting really interested in, in real estate and um house hacking in particular and i've been doing a lot of research and sometime in 2019 i decided okay it's enough um research time to do some action um the rates are good um and so i i kind of jumped into it without really knowing what i'm doing um and i realized pretty quickly that the properties in seattle are very expensive um, and that maybe I need to follow a different approach. Um, and my real estate agents were not very investor focused. So um, I stepped back a little bit, did some more research and joined the bigger pockets forums and learned so much more. Um, and then COVID hit and I realized, um, well, now that we're all working from home, um, I can maybe find a city that's better suited for my uh, financial goals, my personal goals, um, and uh, after becoming d- being pretty nerdy about it and having a whole spreadsheet <laughs> where I have multiple columns and ranking different cities based on you know demographic demographic growth, population growth, um, real estate, health stuff like that. Um, Denver was the one that um, I decided to pick, and I just flew out there and. Um, lived in an Airbnb for a month in the, in the low high up there and I loved it. Like right away I fell in love with the city and I decided to um, just skip the apartment and look for a house directly. And then um, I was a pretty big fan of um, uh, your content on YouTube actually. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, really numbers focused um, videos, uh, a lot of house hacking um knowledge and uh, really loved your spreadsheets and i was like and plus they're in denver like what a coincidence so <laughs> i reached out to you and then uh, you put me in touch with scott here and it's been a um it's been a whirlwind but it, it was uh um very exciting and um at the end of the day we found an amazing deal 
and uh, and here we are. I bought, just closed it in September. Because you moved out here, was it like June, July? It was August. It was August? It okay. Was August, yeah. And then I stayed there in Airbnb for for a month. Okay. So this is the first I've heard about the spreadsheet you had. I'm going to go totally take a left turn here uh, about ranking cities. So you you put together a pretty detailed analysis. That, like, what were the top three or five cities on here? Um, Denver was up there. Um, Nova, so North North Virginia yep. was another one, um, um, I think. Have you been to Northern Virginia? I have not. But okay. um, I, I grew up there and lived there. I can tell you, Denver is way better. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> One big factor is because um, my company has a pretty big headquarters yeah. there, so it was good from a career perspective. But we also have an office here, so um, it was good. And um, a few cities in Texas, Austin, yeah, um, Houston a little bit, also uh, Nashville, Tennessee were on my top, um, you know, top five. And but those cities I started realizing are getting overcrowded and getting too popular. So Denver didn't seem quite there yet. And uh, plus, I think one factor that um, really made me decide was uh, the beautiful outdoors culture here and the mountains. So I'm a big skier, and uh, it's like okay, well, the numbers are pretty similar for all these cities, but. If I go with my hunch, um, uh, Denver has, has to be the one. Okay. And kind of talking about this, like, what are your, just what are your, you know, you're getting to real estate, obviously you're planning on things, just kind of walk us through the the long-term goals and also just the immediate goals. Yeah, so um, I'm in a nine-to-five job right now. I don't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. Um, I'm pretty interested in, you know, the financial independence movement. Um, and my long-term goal is to have enough passive income to quit my nine-to-five and then take some risks, uh, you know, start a company, do something I'm passionate about. Um, and to to get there, I realized that um, real estate is, is a great tool for that. I started out just investing in the um, in the stock market, I have, you know, the four, I max my 401k, the Roth IRA, all that good stuff. You're just doing like index funds? And- index funds, yeah. Um, and I- I'm doing all that, but um, I realized that real estate is just um, so much faster and, and such a such a great tool that's, um, that you have to have in your portfolio. <laughs> So another random question for you. I forgot you're in the fire movement, and since you're so uh, detail oriented, I I loosely follow some of the fire movement, but I'm, I want to consider myself like a member of that tribe. Random question here. So do you do you use a four percent or like a three point two five percent safe withdrawal rate? Because I have a feeling you've modeled this out in the spreadsheet before. Four percent is what, is that you what know, you're people usually yeah okay. people usually go with, um, and that's what I'm. Considering so it's like times twenty five, it's kind of yep. easy to to uh, get to the number. But I'm not focusing too much on that because okay. uh, people say, um, "Oh, once you reach this, you know, amount of wealth, um, you reached your four percent number, you just retire and you know, don't do anything else." So um, I'm I'm a big fan of the movement, but I'm kind of doing my own spin on it. 
um, where whereas they focused a lot on saving and you know just maximizing the tax benefits. Um, I'm really interested in in learning my actual passive income, um, and um, so I'm not too worried about the four percent. I think um, I, I think it's very difficult to predict what my life is going to be like like in ten years and twenty oh, yeah. years. So I just have you know uh six months maybe like even a year worth of savings for a rainy fund and uh i think that's that's pretty that's good enough for me and so it sounds like just to because i always think like i'm always intrigued by you know the base of your financial plan you know your, your investing plan so you've got a good cash reserve just to be liquid and, and be safe do some stock index investing and then real estate investing and as those two grow will transition on your job and move into starting a business or following your passion? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And um, you, you're you familiar with the house hacking and the nomad approach. So my kind of short to medium term goal with real estate is to keep buying properties and um, bring them up to speed and rent them out until I have, you know, um, five, five is a good start for now for me. Um, just five properties five, is the five first properties goal? is okay. my first goal because um, my expenses are low I'm, I'm a bachelor now and um, when I do the math five actually is, is a pretty solid amount of passive income and then I'll I'll recalculate and recalibrate and and we'll see all right so let's kind of move on to talking about the, the property here. Because I remember, I mean, when we, I'm trying to, I mean, trying to remember the timeline. We chatted, and then it was just like, great, let's let's go. Because you were living in Airbnb, and you know, wanted, wanted to get going here. And then Scott, this is where, I mean, you know, you came in and, and made this all made this all happen. So, tell us about the property that uh, we got Vasily here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Vasily's got very, he's very uh, disciplined in his investing. So. Um, and we talk about this with other investors. He he knew exactly what he wanted, the price he wanted, the number of bedrooms he wanted. And so it made the search very easy. Once we yeah. found it, he pulled the trigger, we jumped on it. And um, But yeah, we had looked around. Um, um, I think initially we were looking for, um, well, we were looking for multi-units pretty much right out of the gate. Because um, that was your criteria from day one, mm -hmm. right? Was just doing multifamily? Yeah, yeah, I was I was a big fan of that until I realized that they're actually quite uncommon in Denver. So I I kind of opened my um, options to ADUs and you know single families, but multifamily was still my number one option. Yep. Yeah, and we came out. Um, Vasily gave a very um, uh, you know bedroom count was very uh, a big. So we were looking, I think, for six bedrooms and up because he was looking to rent by the bedroom. Um, and so this one popped up, it was on the MLS. And uh, so we jumped on it, yeah. Located in Cap Hill, um, great location. And um, so the um, the unit went up, um, it had been on the market for almost a month. And um, the person who was selling the property had a similar two-unit property right next door. They had already had that under contract, and so they were about a week from closing, and then we came in, and um, this was on the market. The seller had put it on the market a year earlier and then took it off. We weren't sure if that was 
you know, uh, and then COVID came uh, this last spring. So um, yeah, once it came, we jumped on it. List price uh, seven fifty. We came in ten thousand under asking. We knew that they wanted to get this moved because they had the other one under contract, and they took the offer. So. And let's talk about this, because this is something that's always so important, Scott, is that it's mm-hmm. not just about writing an offer with a certain dollar amount for the purchase yep. price. There's so much more that makes an offer attractive. Mm-hmm. And we were chatting about this before hey, recording day, but hey, if they're selling the other property, they were going to be most likely in a 1031 exchange where they've got a certain yep. timeline to, to move the money. And if you're selling, you know, two places next door to each other, you ideally want those to line up pretty close together so you can use those funds together into whatever properties are going on. So that gave gave you some insider knowledge into knowing that and realizing, hey, they're probably going to be more flexible uh, versus just stuck in a price point, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a big piece of our negotiating is, you know, we always reach out to the buyer or the uh, selling agent. Um, we try and get the story of what's going on. And so just understanding, you know, what they, uh, what the seller's looking for in the offer, you know, as far as dates and timing and uh, just getting that little bit of a background story um, is, is key in, to making the deal go forward. So yeah, it's good. And from your perspective, Vasily, when you're out here, I know you walk properties, looked at this. What made you like this one? What made you say, hey, let's pull the trigger and put an offer in? Well, like you said, I'm pretty disciplined about that. I just plugged in the numbers into the Excel sheet and it looked great, even if I was using very conservative numbers, um, even considering that it's a hundred year old house, um, everything just looked great on paper. And um, I wanted to take a look in person and when uh we went it 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 really confirmed it in my head that this is a great property great location um it needs a bit of love but um nothing major like there there didn't seem to be any red flags as far as i was concerned nothing uh like related to plumbing or electricity that was um you know uh, scary so mostly surface repairs and so my um, risk margin there was pretty low, uh, small. And I was like, yeah, this is better than everything else we've looked at so far. And, and how many properties did you did you walk before? Do you remember? Kind of give... I think uh, two properties I okay. walked before that. Um, and, and they were other duplexes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Actually, there was, I think there was yeah. a triplex. I think um, um, there was a duplex. But yeah, they were paling in comparison to this yep. one yeah i mean just you can't be this location it's got yeah. it's a great building i mean it's got a lot of character it's it's yeah it's, it's really a nice place yeah, yeah it's it's in a historic uh neighborhood actually and it's close to work for me and um i wasn't really worried about finding tenants because young professionals and students will want these types of locations so everything looked good and even during, you know, we remember we talked about during COVID, like it was not, we weren't too worried about because parts of downtown, especially that that newer Class A stuff, they've had, you know, they've been hit harder than other other parts of the the Denver market with rent stuff. But this part of town is just still still high demand. It is. I, th- I think if you go a bit more south from there, you start getting into really Class A um, areas mm-hmm. um, that probably got hit a bit harder. But yeah, this was... Um, a bit higher, like B plus maybe, but it was still like the numbers were looking great. So, all right. Yeah. And so this is a up down duplex, and it's 
four bedrooms, one bath upstairs, and three one downstairs, right? Yes, there's a basement, um, and there's two bedrooms in the basement and one on the first floor. Okay. And so that's how it's um, three beds downstairs. Okay. And then the top unit was vacant, and there were already existing tenants in the in the lower unit, right? Correct. The tenants downstairs um, intended to stay and to continue their lease, so... Um, they did a one-month lease with the previous owner. A oh, one-month? Yeah, because their lease ended, um, I think, in August. Mm, okay. And so, and then while they, you know, had this one month of transitional rent, we worked out a really nice um, lease with them. Um, I, I managed to increase the rent by a uh, hundred dollars, and they were happy with it. And um, and then we started a new lease, um, you know, in October. Good. And you just put them on like a, a one-year lease then? A one-year lease. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, let's talk about when you actually put the offer in. And Scott, this is definitely definitely your wheelhouse here. I know we, we started mentioning it, and then we, we went down a sidetrack. But you put the offer in, got our contract a little bit, a little bit below list. But when it comes time to due, due diligence inspection, how will all that play out? Yeah, so we did the um, so we got uh, got the property under contract, um, jumped right into the inspection. Um, we had facility and I, so it, we had a goofy sewer line. It's you know in these you know hundred year old buildings. So we did a sewer scope, and our scope could only get I don't know ten or fifteen. We couldn't it the line kept bending, and so we weren't able to complete the sewer scope. And then the other guy brought in um, a sewer scope. Then we ended up with a third sewer scope, but the guy had a special camera. I think it was a little narrower, but it allowed him to get around the corners and eventually get all the way out to the alley. So definitely important on any of these, especially these older properties, to make sure that the sewer lines, we don't have a crack or some kind of breakage um, in the line because you're talking, you know, anywhere from eight to $15,000 to fix one mm-hmm. of these sewer lines. So um, definitely wanted to make sure, um, you know, if we ran into that, we would have had to go back and negotiate that. But uh, finally got the scope and we're able to move forward. So. so the issue was it wasn't clogged or anything. It was just taking a, a better camera to go. Just go a lot of turns. turns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of turns. And I watched, I think, the second guy who was doing the scope. Yeah. And he was working so hard. He was sweating buckets. <laughs> he was just trying to, like, I, I, I believe them that they had trouble getting it. Yeah. I think normally there's, like, two or three turns, but he's like, it looks like there's seven plus turns in this one. So every time there's a turn, it's it's there's more friction, so it's harder to push the camera through. Yeah. All right. It's like jamming an old slinky down there or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I'm glad we persevered because um, we could have just said whatever, but yeah. we kept pushing and the seller helped, um, you know, meet us halfway. Mm-hmm. And then that's a big risk we avoided. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, got the, we got the seller's agent on board because, I mean, he had, you know, he had an incentive to make sure that everything was verified. So he was great to work with, had a great relationship with him. And so, yeah, we got it, finally got it scoped and... And move forward. So great. And so sewer is always a big thing we talk about mm-hmm. more often than not on these podcasts. Any other issues? I mean, this is a hundred year old building. There's other stuff, you know, going on on there. But what was just, you know, 
hey, normal, this is an old building versus, hey, these are issues we need addressed. Yeah, that was that was the big one. I mean, there was a lot of small, there were some cosmetic things. There was an older um, older furnace. And then, um, I'm trying to remember which, which broke a, That was down, a big piece. Which yeah, broke down a couple of weeks later. After, after the fact, it. yeah. But he got, yeah, so you got the new furnace after, but... Um, but that it broke was, down after you closed. Yeah. yeah. Welcome L- to owning liter- property. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a couple of weeks later, I thought, oh, this sounds like everybody keeps talking about how things break when they move in. This <clears throat> doesn't sound very realistic. And then it happens to me. I'm like, okay, now I believe it. Yeah. it, it I mean, it happens more often than that. It's just, it's the old joke. Yeah. You buy a place and something's going to break. And yeah. welcome to owning property. Yeah. And where this is different than some of our other investors. So, I mean, Vasily's house hacking. So he's living there as his primary residence. So you were just telling us about a lot of the great improvements and the things that you fixed up. And so, yeah, it's, uh, but no, it was, you know, the bones were there. It was a good building. So. All right. So for the, the financing side here, did a conventional loan, 20% down appraisal came in at over asking, no issues. $2,500 $2,500 in seller concessions that you put down 20%. There's no PMI. And you did buy the interest rate down. I think you said from what, 275 to 2.5? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So a quarter point. So I mean, that's a, a significant amount. It is, but the break even point was something like um, 14 months. And I, I knew that I was going to keep this long term. So, um, it was going to basically pay back for itself after living there 14 months. So I was like, that's that's an easy choice. That's a really short break-even period, especially for like on a multi, that quarter point, that's a really yeah. good break-even period. Yeah, I went with it. Yeah, way. that's great. All right. So let's jump in the spreadsheet here. And for the listeners out there, this is also the screenshots are in the blog post. So, so check the show notes, but this is their standard analysis using Joe Massey spreadsheet. So we plugged in the two unit primary residence, 20% down purchase price, about 740. Um, altogether, the total initial investment is around about 170 is yeah. about a good estimate. Um, and talking about the initial repair cost, I know the furnace was an unexpected thing, but was there anything like immediate and major needed to do to get the current rents or is the repairs more just, Hey, well, I'm here. I want to, repair this stuff so when I move out in a year or two, it's more tenant-proof. There was nothing urgent. Um, I had a little scare when I lost hot water at some point. I'm like, okay, now after the furnace, now I have to repair the water heater. But as it turns out, somebody accidentally turned the knob down <laughs> on the on the heat. And so that accidentally was, turned it down. How do you, yeah, how do you I, accidentally turn that down? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I, I told my tenants to be extra careful because, because both water heaters are in the basement. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so you separate water heaters uh, for the different units. Yeah. Great. Um, and um, I was like, please, please guys be careful. They probably were moving some stuff in the closet there. Um, but no, that didn't turn out to be an expense. The water heater is fine and it's working. Um, I do want to bring it up to speed before I rent out the place where I'm living right now. So, What's that look like? Um, the carpets are old and dirty, so I want to get that replaced. Um, I've been putting in a lot of sweat equity, so I've been patching up holes and painting um, over <clears throat> some you know, caulked places. And um, I've refinished the kitchen cabinets. Um, so I think... When you say refinished, like 
like sanded them and painted them or yeah sanded and um stained them i guess with polyurethane um very, very cheap uh, project to do but just time consuming because oh, you yeah. have to coat it wait six hours coat it um have you ever done a project like that before no, no. It's, it's very tedious isn't it it's tedious and um i was um i would warn people out there who do this buy a buy a breathing mask because um, <laughs> you don't want to breathe all that stuff in especially after you send it um i i was starting to get a little lightheaded when i was doing it. So, okay it's time to buy a a, a mask yes yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good tip um, what are you doing with the carpet? Are you going to replace with a carpet or do you like the luxury vinyl planking? What's your, what's your plan? Um, I'm a big fan of LPT. Yeah. Um, like it's popular, it's great price, it's resistant. Um, however, after doing some research, asking around, it seems like, um, because it's on the second floor, um, carpet is, um, often preferred in bedrooms and especially in Colorado, you know, winters are get pretty cold. And so uh, another another cool hack about carpets is that it reduces noise for the people downstairs. Yeah. So that's considering all that, um, I think I'm going to put carpets in again. Okay. Yeah. So carpet like the living areas and the bedrooms and uh, LVT and like the, the main areas, like the hallways. Yeah, the, the hallways, uh, the kitchen has ceramic tile. So okay. I'm going to keep that. Um, but yeah, uh, apart from that, I'm also going to replace the windows, which are old and single pane. Uh, but other than that, no, no other major repairs are needed. Good. So I mean, that sounds all just like, I mean, someone's just, you know, basic maintenance, but going to make it really good for, for tenant proofing. And so right now the spreadsheet we have is for after you move out, but right now you're currently living there. So you got, uh, three tenants downstairs on one lease for. 2100, I think you said? Correct. And then you're living upstairs. And how long do you think you'll stay here on this property? What's, what's your plan? So, um, following the Nomad approach and um, considering that you need to stay one year uh, with uh, owner-occupied mortgage um, to, you know, not break any rules, um, I want to start looking at a new property sometime next year. Um, I don't want to rush it or anything. I want to make sure I find something good. Yeah. But the plan is for me to, uh, do it rental by the room in, on, on the second floor. So I'm probably going to put locks on the different doors. And, um, that also allows me to push the total, uh, cash flow higher compared to if it was just a single lease. So what do you think the the rents would be if it was just a single lease upstairs versus a room-by-room room lease situation? So if it was a single lease, um, just comparing to, uh, you know, downstairs and other comps, um, you know, $2,300, dollars is, is somewhere where, where I would put it. But if I go by the room um, and, you know, there's a lot of... Um, websites out there and and it's becoming it, it it is already pretty popular um people don't mind sharing kitchens um if they get to pay a smaller lease um i'm looking at more like 24 2500 um at least and um if if the repairs go well then i think i can bring it up to that 2800 number 
All right. So on the spreadsheet here, we have 2150. Assuming you're going to bump the runs about 50 bucks next year on the lower unit, which sounds very reasonable. And 2800 for the room by room rental upstairs. So 4950 a month until a rental income. And then 5% vacancy, 3% rent increase, 2% appreciation, kind of the standard assumptions we use here. You will not be paying for property management. Uh, 6% for repairs and maintenance. Why 6%? Um, it is an older building for sure. It's uh, 1906. Um, but the the guts of it seem to be in pretty good shape. They, um, I had an electrician over who did an inspection and he said the... Um, the electrical looks good. Um, it was repaired in 20, 2008 or something. And um, plumbing looks good from the original inspection. So I don't expect any huge repairs. Um, however, like, as we've said, the furnace broke down, stuff like that, just typical um, repairs. Because it's a duplex, I would expect 6% to be around the ballpark there. Okay. And even if it's a little bit higher, I mean, we'll we'll go to the numbers at the end here. You've got uh, this is a very good property, and there's uh, there's cash flow to help take care of anything that that comes up. Um, no to property management is going to be self managing to help save some money. Is that more for savings saving money or more for the experience? It's more for the experience. Okay. Um, I do want to eventually switch to property management, but I just want to learn as much as possible. And that also allows me to know what kind of bar to have for the property manager when I when I do get one. Because I will have done all this stuff myself. I will have done all this research and put in all this sweat, sweat equity and understood the problems that property managers face. And I think that'll be make me more better positioned to hire a good PM. All right. So taxes are thirty five hundred, insurance eighteen hundred. Your trash is thirteen sixty eight. Uh, do you have a dumpster there? Yeah, uh, dumpster, and we also added a recycling bin. Okay. And um, I I think because we're in this um, you know downtown neighborhood, the city of Denver doesn't. Uh, take trash for you for free, so that's something we have to pay for. But that's just um, offloaded to the to the tenants. Okay, most, for the most part. And how do you till these? Because I mean, I mean, water and sewer. I'm assuming is, is one tap because that's how every building is in Denver. What's it like for electric and gas meters? Are those separate? So it's a mixed bag. Um, for water and sewer, you're correct. It's it's together. But what's more, we're also sharing it with our neighbor. Um, so I actually, I'm the one who's responsible, um, who put my name on all these bills. Um, and I volunteered because again, I wanted to gain experience, but half of it is, uh, basically charged to the other duplex next to us. And then a quarter of it, I'm charging the, um, tenants downstairs. Okay. And so you're just basically 25% per unit between the four units pretty much because okay. it's up down up down we're keeping it simple doing 25 percent each but electricity and gas on the other hand is only my uh duplex but it's still uh you know we, i still split it half halfway so um i have to do a bit of arithmetic there but um at the end of the day it's it's not very high 
Yeah, and I mean, I think the, I call that the keep it simple, stupid method is, hey, let's just, I mean, otherwise we're trying to prorate, you know, a $38 bill, a $74 bill, an $82 bill. Oh, and you're, it's just, it's not worth a couple bucks at the end of the year. One way or the other, whether you gain 50 bucks, lose 50 bucks. In my mind, it's not worth the, the brain damage on that. Yeah, and, and the other bonus is that um, the neighbors to my right are putting tenants in now. And because I checked our garbage and recycling bin, there's quite enough space. We're going to be sharing that bill with them. So then that brings our costs down even more. Oh, great. So we're going to divide it by six instead of by four. Wonderful. So what's your what's the water bill like over there for a basically a four unit in that part of town? So I was just looking at that this morning. Um, it was 95. Um, it seemed really cheap, especially considering that you're dividing that by four. Um, so, yeah, I'm obviously not using a lot of water, but considering we have a lot of tenants in downstairs and in the other unit, it's pretty much full. Um, so that's at least, I don't know, 13, 14 people using water and sewer. Um, uh, $45 uh, or even like 20 something dollars per unit is it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Man, yeah, pretty good. yeah, that's lower than I expected. It, it is lower. And I'm still waiting for Denver Water to come to me and be like, oh, we actually miscalculated. <laughs> you have to pay all this. But it hasn't happened yet. No, that's pretty in line, like from other property in Denver. It's just it. It's always been, yeah. yeah. If you don't have lawn, you don't have big lawn either, though. Yeah, so, we don't. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's if you irrigate the lawn, that, that adds up. Yeah. And then uh, $600, going back to spreadsheet, so 3500 for taxes, 1800 for insurance, you know, 1350 for trash, and I'll be lowered some now, and 600 for landscaping, which is to take care of the small front yard and some basic snow removal, right? Yeah, and I'm actually the one shoveling snow right now, but I'm including that in the expense because if I move out, I might hire somebody to do that. But I'm, oh, yeah. I'm billing myself 25 bucks an hour, even though I'm go. keeping, you know. No, but I think that's the right way to do is you, have, you want to calculate for your time of those expenses for, yeah. for future scaling. All right, so we're moving on to the next tab here. So in the total annual expenses are just around $11,000, which leaves a net, Operating income of around $45,600. Less your mortgage payments, about $28,000 a year, which comes out to be about $2,300 a month. And man, if your mortgage is about $2,300 a month and you're getting $2,100 in rent right now, I mean, they're covering 90% plus of your mortgage. That's that's a, great. A big chunk of it. Yeah. Uh, even if I kept living in, my, in this unit, um, I would still be better much better off than what I was paying in Seattle for a micro studio. Well, what were you paying in Seattle for a micro studio? 1600. And, and this is for what 400 square feet? Um mine was 300. It was <laughs> micro is emphasis on the micro there. <laughs> okay. Wow. Let's say I had yeah. to uh, really take advantage of of vertical space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, so that leaves you with an annual cash flow of 17,500. Um, and I, we had, um, we were going to record this podcast two weeks ago and then got delayed and, and I had not looked at these numbers for all. I forgot just how good the numbers were on this property. Like, I, I still can't believe it. Yeah. It's like amazing. it's, it's yeah. great. So, so good job on you. Yep. Scott, you. good job on yeah, you too. Yeah. And that um, cash flow too. I mean that, that, yeah. you know, that cash flow is great, but 
if we go back, you know, you don't have to go back a couple slides, but 2.5 interest rate. So for all those people that are new to house hacking, because he bought this as his primary, he could finance it as a primary. If mm -hmm. this was another investor, they would have been paying almost three quarters to a full point more. So he's getting $13,000 per year that he's paying down on his principal too. So you throw that in with the cash flow and that's a good 30,000 right there. So um, yeah, he did. He knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I think it's a great uh, investment. And so, I mean, we're showing a, you know, a 10% cash on cash return, a 6% cap rate. You put property management and those will drop, what, half a point or so, I would say, Scott? Yeah. So, I mean, still, you know, in terms of, of Denver numbers, very on the very good spectrum of everything. Uh, but overall, if you look at the return on investment quadrant, it's showing about a 29.8% return on your money the first year, which isn't completely accurate because we've got the, you know, the numbers in there for once you move out but this is gonna be a pretty good ballpark. And just goes to show that if you, you know, use leverage smartly and you're willing to do a little bit extra work, you can get some just amazing returns in real estate. So just great deal. And I wanna loop back around, Vasily, because I remember when we first sat down and, and chatted months ago, you were telling me about some of the, the numbers you're looking at in Seattle. I think you're, you're looking at multis out there too, right? Yeah. And, Can and, you refresh my memory on those numbers? I know the listeners will be interested in that. Yeah. And and that's where I, I felt like I, I got burned a little bit because the property that was the highest on my list um, was a quad in um, uh, UW Village. If, if anybody's familiar with Seattle, it's uh, right next to University of Washington. Okay. And so a lot of students there, so rent is not a problem, but it was uh, worth 1.4 million. And the rents were pretty comparable to here. And then when I actually ran the numbers, not, not only was it not making cash flow, but it was bleeding $3,000 a month. Um, and then nobody mentioned that to me until I ran the numbers myself. And um, thank God I did because we were, I was close to pulling the trigger and they were hurrying me up and then I was like, wow, this, I could have made a really big mistake there. And I'm glad yeah. I didn't. And were you looking at this, uh, was it pre-COVID? It was pre-COVID, yeah. Okay. Because I know Seattle, I mean, how, I haven't followed their numbers very closely. Has their downtown softened up a bit since COVID, do you know? It has. Anecdotally, I've spoken to some friends who said that um, the rents are, are going down pretty significantly. And mm. um, I... I'm not sure about the rest of the market, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it went down a little bit as well. Do you recall, and I'm just totally curious, like what the taxes and insurance were on that quad in Seattle? Um, no, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I just used the online calculators. Okay. Um, and it's, there's also, I think, a special tax that's applied only in Washington state um, for buyers. So... Being a homeowner um, is is pretty is pretty difficult in, in Washington, at least compared to Colorado, where we have uh, a lot of landlord friendly laws. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, I mean, great property, 
Scott, anything else you want to add on here? No, I mean, Vasily was, he was great. We did a celebratory. We took him to the Cherry Cricket and introduced him to some local uh, Denver fair. Um, he was a lot of fun. He's a great client. And, you know, we talk about this, you know, this wasn't just about getting Vasily one rental. You know, Vasily, you know, he's got a plan. He knows where he wants to be in five years and 10 years. And like he said, you know, that that's what we try and bring here is that ability to see beyond just that short term. And so, you know, like he said, he's going to, he'll be able to do this again in a year and a day. And uh, he's, he's well on his way to that financial independence that he's looking for. So yeah, it was great. Awesome. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts? Vasily, you want to share or? Um, Well, just that it was, it was pleasure working with you guys. Really uh, numbers oriented, um, really, um, you know, focused on that investor mentality. So that was great and yeah i'm looking forward to to the next one awesome will be a good 2021 thanks guys yeah good thanks chris thank you